But that's the entire, that's the entire reason why there's disinformation. That's the entire reason, you know, why, you know, why news, whether it's like mainstream or whether it's like, you know, some crazy website or some YouTube channel or something like that, you know, is, is, is doing its job, you know, for the corporate oligarchy for, for all intents and purposes, because basically they're making it so that nobody trusts anything. Nobody knows where to look. Nobody has any trust in any of the information organs that are out there. And so you can basically get away with anything because if somebody happens to, you know, almost by accident, you know, start calling out like actual truths out in the universe, you know, at this point, you know, all you have to do is point and say, oh, that's fake news. And half the people are going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that probably is just fake news. So forget about it. You know, I mean, we are lost as a people as far as like our ability to discern good information. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. I got a couple plugs before we get started. Please join us for the very first IndiePods United Virtual Summit. Here you will observe and learn from other podcasters how to take what you can't stop thinking about and turn it into something real. The online event for new and veteran podcasters where we come together to create with one another. The IndiePods United Convention happens on November 29th through December 3rd, 2020, featuring amazing shows, speakers, breakout sessions, entertainment, games, and plenty more, as we dive in to learn more about the fascinating world of podcasting. For more event information, please visit the Facebook group, IndiePods United. Tickets are available through Eventbrite. The IndiePods United Virtual Summit. Together we listen. Relevant links are available in the show notes. The Con, five-part series, true crime documentary about the 2008 financial crisis. Everything that we didn't learn about it from the beginning. This is available at thecon.tv. There you can get the first episode for free, and the rest of the episodes are available on video on demand. Today I'm going to be talking to Eric Vaughn and Cindy Castro DeRusso. Eric was one of the producers of the con. I had recently interviewed, I think in a, uh, episode 55, Patrick Lovell. He was another one of the producers of the con. I did a uh, co-hosted interview there with the uh, Ripple Effect podcast uh, and Ricky Verandis. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the con and release this episode before uh, the elections. Kind of, you know, because it's really relevant to what we're kind of dealing with right now. 
So, uh, Eric had a great discussion with him. Uh, Cindy shares about her story and how she was personally affected by the 2008 financial crisis when she lost her home. And, uh, Patrick did too. Patrick, that's the reason why he, he got involved as well as he, uh, he lost his home too. So it was a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to the show. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Tonight, or this evening, I should say, we have two very special guests. Uh, one is Eric Vaughn, who is an award-winning commercial director producer with extensive experience in leading-edge production from narrative films to VR immersive experiences. Eric has recently completed his long-form documentary series directorial debut, The Con, which is how I came to uh, know who Eric was. And then we also have Cindy Castro DeRusso who is a producer and casting director and has worked on shows in Hollywood, such as the Jimmy Kimmel show, the voice. i just watched that last night. Um, Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares and other reality TV shows, uh, on Fox and Nat geo. How are you guys doing tonight or this evening? Yeah, we're doing great. Doing good. Thank you. No, thank you for coming on the show. Um, and it's kind of like a follow up to the interview I did with Patrick previously with, uh, Ricky Verandis on the ripple effect. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I literally watched that movie 18 hours of it. I watched it three times. I had the three, the three viewings that I got for the screening. I watched all three of them because I was looking for inconsistencies in it and it was like, I couldn't find anything. And I was like, damn. I mean, have you ever watched something? And I'm sure you have, Eric. You've watched a documentary where it's just like slapped you in the face, kicked you in the ass, and and turned you in the direction, and you just start marching. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's there's been a few times when uh, when that's happened. I, I'm really, uh, you know, that's awesome that uh, that 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 you feel that that uh, happened to you with the with our program. The, yeah. Put in years and years and years of work to to uh, try to make it as as tight as possible because I mean ultimately you know Patrick you know Adam and I you know when we were first putting this thing together we knew we had to get it right you know we absolutely knew that we had to get it right and part of that was uh, getting uh, as much of it done in the epicenter from my perspective of, of the uh, crisis which was the uh, you know the uh, poor neighborhoods in the industrial Midwest. And, uh, you know, that's why we did so much of our producing, uh, you know, here in like Akron and Youngstown and, you know, and that's how, uh, Cindy got involved. Yes. Yeah. And Cindy, your backstory is, is that you're, you like, uh, uh, Patrick experienced it firsthand, right? Yeah. Um, I was living in Phoenix in 2007, 2008, when things started to go really weird. Um, credit lines started getting cut, business lines started getting cut. No one had answers. The bank wouldn't give you an answer. And then um, I had a recruiting business for legal professionals back then. And, um, all of the budgets froze. I've been in law all my life. So I've never seen a law firm not hire. And, um, luckily I had very close relationships with my clients and they said, look, we're not going to be hiring for about three years. And, we don't know how you're going to survive. Um, so, and then 
that was before everything went public. So that was like the end of 2007, like fourth quarter 2007. And then by first quarter 2008, everything had gone public and the markets were crashing and you know what happened. So, and I was pretty well diversified. I thought, I thought I was well diversified in legal professional recruiting um, and real estate investments out there. And both came collapsing down at the same time. So it wasn't a good time in my life. That's for sure. And so, how did so how did you two meet up and 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 put all of this together and and all of the pieces because i mean this is a very this documentary just really put it in layman's terms where you could understand the mechanisms by which it was all happening a lot of times like the big short they didn't tell you that they they gave you a piece of 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 what happened didn't but they kind of just sort of brushed over the, the how it happened you know in my opinion. Right. And I think that there was another one that was out there as well. I can't remember what the name of it is, but I heard it was sort of like the same thing. And I'm sorry, man. I think that they do that on purpose. The, the, the players and everything else that are involved, because it's all, it's all part of the octopus, man. There's an octopus, global octopus and, and the media is that they own and they, they own all of it. Damn near. It's one of the legs. And right. it's when some, right. when something and all of these people, they, these families, this is, this is my opinion. This isn't fact. This isn't, this is just my, my conspiracy ramblings that I've, you know, heard whatever, but mm-hmm. it makes sense to me, you know, that they have the money, the, 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 the people that have all the money and own everything, they can kind of move markets and do all these other things. And then they use the media to kind of like, I need to, everybody to go that way. And, and follow that line and follow that narrative. And it's just, it's crazy. And I really believe that we need to, as people, independent uh, uh, media sources like myself and, and other like-minded uh, podcasts and other media, we need to be fighting back against that narrative and, and against the media with our own media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it was the... Matt Taibbi coined the term vampire squid when describing Goldman Sachs, but I think that that vampire squid can can speak towards any of the uh, of the uh, you know supermarket you know big Wall Street banks uh, that exist out there. I mean, I think that it, that is the same thing that you're talking about. I mean, they have their 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 hands and arms in so many things, and it's not just the banks, right? It's like you know, I mean, the shadow sector has now kind of overcome even wall street i mean you think of like blackrock you know and how powerful they are i mean you know they they're they're, they're you know they're moving the markets as much as anybody i mean they administered maiden lane for heck for for christ's sake i mean that's uh that's that's real power right there but see we get to sort of like how uh how uh you know cindy and, and i found each other to uh, work on on uh, on our project Econ. Um, it actually goes back several years ago um, yeah. when, uh, when Patrick and I were kind of conceiving about how we wanted to you know, approach telling the story because it was always super important, you know, to all, you know, all three of us, uh, you know, the, uh, the initial people who were putting this together, you know, Adam Bromp and Patrick Bubble and myself, that we tell a story that was going to be able to speak to you know, the regular people, you know, and to tell that and to tell it from that perspective. Right. And so 
at the time, I remember that summer, I was uh, sitting back and, uh, and uh, watching TV and the Jinx came on. And the Jinx was that documentary about uh, Robert Durst that HBO that HBO did where, you know, the guy basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, admitted that he killed his wife, you know, on, on screen and stuff like that. It was like, a, but it's really a fascinating documentary in that, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was one of the first like multi-episode documentaries that I saw and it was a true crime documentary and they went into scene because they couldn't film what was actually happening because a lot of these things happened in closed doors and in different time frames and so on and so forth. And that really stuck in my head because ultimately what that instructed me uh, was that the approach to do this is not to do the con as like a economic, you know, you know, you know, highly esoteric, you know, throwing out big words all the time and you know, trying to sound smart type of documentary. If this was going to be effective, it needed to be something that, that people like myself basically could, could, could get wrap our heads around. And so that's why we, you know, really sort of turned towards the true crime, you know, documentary as like a template and we, and when that became apparent, it also became apparent that we had to do some really good, high quality recreates in order to, you know, flesh out the story and be able to give the audience, you know, some sort of, you know, emotional space to be able to take in and understand Addie Polk's story or how the, uh, or how the Summit County Task Force, you know, how, how, how that uh, big bus went down when they, when they busted David Dillon's office. Or what was happening in the back, you know, in the back rooms at the Department of Justice, you know, or, or at the SEC. And so, because obviously we didn't have footage of any of those things, you know, we decided that, okay, this is the opportunity to go into, you know, recreate and to really kind of produce something very nice and polished and what have you. And, uh, and that's, uh, when, uh, and ultimately, um, looking for somebody to help produce those recreates is one found, uh, I think is initially, um, uh, another producer, you know, a friend of ours, Melanie, and then Cindy. And then Cindy was like really instrumental in, uh, in, uh, casting like, uh, so many of these people, um, that we use and, and, uh, and, uh, and that was so critically important, especially like the Addie Cole character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we needed somebody who you, as an audience, would be able to sit back and feel the pain of what she was going through, you know, in those moments before she attempted to take her own life. And that's exactly the, the skill set that Cindy brought. And, and she, and she uh, really did a great job, you know, uh, understanding the story to such a degree that she was able to cast it really well to help tell that story because, you know, it was, it was really important that we nailed that. Yeah. Addie Polk was my grandmother. When I, when I, and I think that's what you were trying to, to capture there is that this is everybody's grandmother. This is everybody's story. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're just one bad situation removed from having that happen to you, you know, and, and, and it's very possible. I mean, look at where we're at right now. I mean, I honestly, when I, when I stop and think about it and I thought about it the other day, I was like, you know, this really seems like 2008 seemed like a test run 
in my, in my opinion. I thought it, I thought it, I, it, it, it was a test run because I still I had friends that that fortunately you know what I mean. So many people lost their homes at at at, at, at such like all at once that there were still people besides the banks that could get some good deals. Like I had a couple of friends that bought two houses, you know, for 500 grand and they made a bunch of money when they sold them a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. This time they made sure nobody was going to have no money to buy anything. Right. I mean, they, I, I, am I, am I crazy by thinking that? I mean, you know, well, um, Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Cindy, please. I was going to say, um, ironically, a lot of people don't know this about me, is that I come from the financial regulation world. I was a white-collar criminal defense paralegal for a very long time. And before that, I was on the regulatory side. So I worked for FINRA, which is now used to be uh, NASDR regulation, who was a parallel to the SEC. So I actually worked in the Office of General Counsel in the late 90s during the tech bubble. Um, So I've seen every kind of Ponzi scheme, every type of uh, financial back, you know, back door scheme. I've I've pinned the bad brokers. I've defended uh, not proudly of some huge Wall Street banks um, in my day. So um, I kind of went from good cop to bad cop and now back to good cop, I think. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, but in 2008, Patrick and I have actually talked about this a lot. Um, we feel like we were kind of no man's land at the time. We didn't know a lot of people like us that were going through such a financial hardship. Um, like we were, uh, some people still held their jobs and what have you. And so they were able to float by, um, entrepreneurs like me didn't get to float by that well and Patrick as well. So this time it's on a much grander scale. Uh, they're just robbing us in front of everyone. So that's kind of how I feel about the whole situation. Um, and there's not even any remorse. It's just happening right before our eyes. So, I think that's probably the biggest difference is that they just yeah. become more and more blatant. It's like now they don't even try to hide it. They're just saying, mm-hmm. oh, you have that? Here, let me just take that from you. And yeah. you do something about it? Ooh, didn't think so. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. basically the only difference between now and then. Um, yeah. Patrick and I were actually having this discussion just a little bit, um, just a little bit earlier today. We were talking about, you know, like the question came up, you know, what is it that that certain people who support, uh, you know, President Trump, you know, really, really see in him? And I said to him, well, you have to remember that despite the fact that it was primarily W. Bush who who who, who was like the, the guy in charge and his administration was in charge throughout most of these fraud epidemics and fraud schemes that were going on, that they were the people who had the power to actually stop it before it became a problem. Despite all that, it wasn't until the Obama administration that it actually became a problem for most people. So I think most people associate their issues with the Obama administration and kind of give W. Bush a pass. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why the Obama administration 
ends up making them making the Dems look as awful as they actually are, I should say, is that he didn't do anything. He had a golden opportunity to actually prosecute, so, you know, so many of these white collar criminals at the time. He had the opportunity to help make regular Americans whole at the time. And he simply did not do that. And I think that so many people lived through that, saw the complete ineffectiveness of, uh, you know, of, of the Obama administration, you know, through that period of time. And basically when uh, 2016 rolled around, they were just like, well, I'm certainly not going to be, you know, voting for the same people that basically, you know, let the robbers get away with everything. So I'll go with anything at this point. And so, the, and so they went to went to Trump, hoping hoping for the best. Whether that was, and, you know, go ahead. Sam. And the and the taxes. I mean, you know, uh, Obama regul, you know, he regulated the middle the middle class to death um, in terms of construction, heavy highway. Um, SBA were doing the most audits that they ever did at the time, um, all on small businesses instead of going after the larger companies, Wall Street, et cetera, like Eric was just explaining. Um, he came after the middle class and my friends were so pissed that I didn't vote for him and they were so mad at me. Some of them didn't even talk to me. I'm like, you guys don't understand what's really going on. And so anyway, uh, but you know, he didn't really, <laughs> so everybody thinks, you know, cause we're in Hollywood and we make documentaries and we're filmmakers that we're liberal, you know, we're uh left, we're big time left radicals and we're not, you know? So, um, which is funny. Uh, but, um, and, well, not uh, Dems anyway. <laughs> we're not Dems. <laughs> yeah. We're not um, Dems. What? It's just, but, uh, it's just one of those crazy, crazy things. I mean, it feels like our reality has been inverted. Yeah. You know, everything, everything that, that, everything that you see isn't what it is. You know, even from how, like, in, uh, money. Like I was saying this for the longest time until I met, uh, Jeff Ginter and, uh, and Steve Grumbine Ooh. about, ah, taxpayer money. It's fun. Rah, 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 and screaming, screaming that at the top of my lungs. And then I, just, and then he explained to me that, well, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, I guess you could still keep screaming that if you want, but it's not how it works. So maybe, you know, right, and, right. And, and so I was like, all right, well, maybe I should, can you explain how it works then? <laughs> and he did. And it was, and I, and I no longer say that now. I try to, I, I don't. Right. Well, that's the sticking point right now in today's headline or yesterday's headline where Biden is going to tax 62% in California for incomes above 400,000. It's, it's like, they're always sticking it to the middle class, you know, and I know 400,000 is the middle class, but like they appeal their narrative, the headlines to the middle class and lower class income because they don't understand, like they don't, they don't understand. And I don't like to sound condescending, but they don't understand the full picture. Like he should be saying, I'm going to tax this range. Do you remember when Bush uh, reclassified um, uh, during TARP, like small businesses were $3 million or 
Do you remember that, Eric, when he reclassified the small business? No, I don't recall Yeah. So it was crazy. He reclassified what small business was, and small business was $3 million in revenue. So um, this was all, be- you know, this is when all of the things were going down in the 2008 financial crisis. So, right. um, you know, people could get loans because you're a small business. Kind of happened, what, last year, this year, it seems like last year, this year. With PPP, right? All yeah. these small businesses were getting PPP loans. So that's why they were getting them. Right. But I think that what you were saying just a second ago, Sean, is really interesting because as we're sort of seeing, you know, like uh, how the Fed has been acting, you know, throughout this COVID, you know, economy, um, you know, I think that it becomes very clear that, um, you know, you're alluding to MMT. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes very clear that there is, you know, a a, that there is a spigot of money that money can just be brought into existence to pay for things. It's just that they are completely committed to running it through Wall Street and then having it potentially, you know, hit the rest of the economy through loans rather than just getting it directly into the economy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that that's the big sticking point. Is that these corporations, these these giant banks and what have you, you know, they understand MMT. They have for decades, mm-hmm. and they've been and they've been they've been making themselves extraordinarily rich, you know, because of that understanding. And then basically, you know, telling us that everything's like tax based, that you know, for everyone else, you know. And I think that that's you know one of the big conceits that's allowing things to happen right now is that. Is that, uh, you know, we feel that everything has to be done through Wall Street, through the banking system. And the banking system is basically laundering fraudulent activity at this point. And I think that when I say that, I'm not saying that colloquially. I mean, the, 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 uh, the FinCEN files, you know, show without a doubt that, you know, that, that, that our entire worldwide economic system is basically a money laundering system for fraudulent behavior anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And the people who end up getting hurt most by that are the people who are is basically everybody who doesn't have their hand on the levers of power. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. And if there's anything that we try to do with the cons that we try to show at least open a window as to how the mechanics of that actually works. Because my feeling is that if people can have at least some sort of basic understanding as to how they and, and everybody else in the economy is getting completely screwed, then there's like some potential for the power to actually do something about it, find the political will to do something different than what we've been doing. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's become abundantly clear at this point that neither party is really opposed to each other on economic matters. It's just a matter of whose face is, is deepest in the trough. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's not, that's not a healthy political system. No. You know, I mean, we were talking about we, we become too big to fail. <laughs> yeah. We have become too big to fail. So we'll see what happens. Clar- clarify, clarify that statement. We well, as because... in, in the United States or just like, I didn't follow that statement. 
Well, um, it just get, it just piggybacks off the documentary Too Big to Fail. You know, yeah. uh, all, all the major players in the banking system all have each other's, you know, back. Yeah. Um, all the politicians are greased by the important people with all the money, all the lobbyists run everything. So um, they're not going to make the same mistake that they, I mean, they don't think they're making the same mistake, but. In 2007, it cut off, caught, I'm sorry, it cut off a lot of people's, uh, it caught people by surprise. Even people internally didn't. Um, but now it's just like everybody's in it. Everybody's in the game. And, and they're not going to allow, like, for instance, uh, you know, inflation hasn't happened. They're doing everything they can to make borrowing money right now is super cheap like it was in 2005 and 2006 you can buy a house for you know 3.5 percent right now 3.75 percent um it's the same thing all over again but now since there's so many uh gerrymandering in all the districts for politicians you know super PACs come in and just it's just all convoluted it's all like reciprocal flow of one another just that's what I'm saying. It's just gotten too big to fail. It's gotten too corrupt. And as long as people have jobs and make money and can buy their house and spend, you know, and live with beyond their means, I think people are kosher, but they don't really see that there's this huge bubble that's happening. And um, it's unfortunate that a lot of people aren't as financially literate. Or maybe they don't want to know. I don't. But I think that's. I think that that's kind of blaming um, the consumer, you know, a little too much. When basically, if you look at productivity as opposed to uh, as a, as opposed to uh, you know the amount of money that people are making, you know, it's like productivity continues to go through the roof, and and uh, and what people are taking home has remained flat for decades. Like California, <laughs> yeah, the entire country, right? And so yeah. that tell you that tells you that 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 people are working are, are are working more efficiently. They're working better. They're doing everything that they should, but they're not being rewarded with any with any money. It's like people would be living within their means if they were being paid what they were worth. True. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. That that's a very good point, Eric. Um, because I do live in California and I work in the uh, uh, well. I was up until. Uh, the 19th and we had the shutdown, uh, union construction. Um, and so like, you know, I'm a part of a union and like, I, I read the thing and they're pushing Biden and it's like, you know, I just, the whole, the whole union thing to me, it just really, it, it put a bad taste in my mouth when I ran for a position as a business agent. And I was very involved in like executive board, uh, 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 trustee and all that other stuff. I, I went through the ranks to try to get into one of those positions. And it just, it was a micro, it was a micro, uh, uh, telescopic look into what our national system is kind of like, right. All of the nastiness comes out that does in elections, you know, you've got, just people just bad mouthing you and all this other stuff. And it's like, I just didn't like it, man. I, I didn't like it. It, uh, it was like, I think, I think merit is, is, and I think, uh, 
So I had, so I would be considered like Hillary, right? She had all the credentials, you know, all of the merits and everything else. She did everything, you know, did all the T's, I's and everything else that crossed them and dotted them. That's what, that was me. But merit doesn't mean anything in a, in an elect, in an elect, in an election type thing. It's about popularity and, you know, being able to convince people that you can do stuff that you really can't. Um, like lowering dues and dues are like taxes. Once you get them, you ain't getting them back. Sorry. But it goes to the point of the United States and, and our population within our local itself. There's a whole bunch of people voting block that has no idea how the how the local even works. They don't know the rules. They don't know the bylaws. They don't know that you can't just, you know, lower dues. You can't just change the pension. You know, all that stuff. I mean, it. it just doesn't work that way. And we're going through the same right. thing now in, in our own electoral system. And people just don't understand how things work. We're, we're, we're uninformed. We don't know. We were never taught. We're too lazy to go look. And even when we do look, we're afraid because I mean, what is it that we're looking at? There's so much misinformation, disinformation that you have to be a, 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 a an investigative journalist or somebody like, like yourself, Eric, that can, you know, knows where to look and how to find the stuff. The average everyday person, they're just like, shit, man, what? Uh, I'm just going to shut it off and walk away. Well, well, that's the whole problem. I mean, when the truth is obscured from you, I mean, how, how can you, how can you make good decisions? You can't, Mm -mm. but that's the entire, that's the entire reason why there's disinformation. That's the entire reason, you know, why, you know, why, news whether it's like mainstream or whether it's like you know some crazy website or some youtube channel or something like that you know is 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 doing its job you know for the corporate oligarchy for for all intents and purposes because basically they're making it so that nobody trusts anything nobody knows where to look nobody has any trust in any of the information organs that are out there and so you can basically get away with anything because if somebody happens to you know almost by accident you know, start calling out like actual truths out in the universe, you know, at this point, you know, all you have to do is point and say, Oh, that's fake news. And half the people are going to go, Oh yeah. Yeah. That probably is just fake news. So forget about it. You know, I mean, we are lost as a people, as far as like our ability to discern good information. And and, and, and I think that that is the, 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 you know, that that is like one of the biggest tricks that they've, that they pulled, you know, they being, you know, the, the, the powers that be once again, it's like, you know, the same people who own the, who, who pay all the, you know, the same people who own all the lobbying firms are also the same people who own all the media outlets. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's going to be a consistent message being brought out there. There's going to be a consistent campaign. I mean, I've been involved in advertising. I know exactly how campaigns work. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's consolidated. They know they know what they're doing, and uh, and yeah, keeping us completely off balance makes us so that we can't make good decisions. And if we can't make good decisions, then everything that we do is going to be emotional, right? And so then you don't really have to have like any actual policy or platform or anything like that. You just have to like strike the right emotions with the right amount of people, and voila, you're president. Mm, yep. Yep, that's very true. And this is a good point to segue into um, another part of, of this discussion. Um, I don't know. Uh, and that's about where the movie is now. Um, it released on uh, September 
you've got like 500,000 views, I believe, uh, on it or 250. uh, Patrick told me a number the other day. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Um, but I mean, for a movie of that, that that's that compelling. I mean, right now we're in the midst of, uh, a bunch of people getting like people that I talk to in alternative media have gotten, uh, they're getting shadow banned from social media. They're getting accounts deleted. Um, they're getting their Patreon accounts deleted and the money taken out of it that patrons actually gave them and not returning it. Uh, all of this stuff is happening, um, in, in our, in social media right now between YouTube, Google, um, and, uh, not Facebook hasn't, they started doing the, uh, the QAnon stuff, like everything that has to do with QAnon, they're, they're deleting all of that, which I mean, they're private entities, right? They're, they're, you're allowed to censor if you want, but I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, really? So where, where, where are you guys on that? Because a lot of the Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon, uh, all of those major players that, you know, have a lot of reach, are kind of like closing the door on you, right? So to speak. You know, it, it's it's this uh, musical algorithm game, right? I mean, it's like whatever the entry points that you need in order to like hit the algorithms that they use in order to find audience is basically the game that they're playing. And, and they can either use that as an excuse to bring something in or they can use it as an excuse to not show something at all. And, uh, you know, and I, I can't say, you know, what's what's happening, you know, with decision makers that have seen our materials or, or whatever the case might be. What I do know is that we've been reviewed by some of the top, you know, uh, me, you know, media reviewers out there. And we are almost universally given like fantastic, phenomenal reviews. And so it certainly isn't the quality of the product. Um, it absolutely isn't the qual is isn't the it isn't that we have poor quality information. I mean, our information is as vetted and as documented as anything that you'll that you'll ever see, and I'll stand behind that that statement you know, any day of the week. You know, so it's something else. You know, maybe it's something as simple as the fact that we don't have you know Matt Damon narrating, or 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 uh, you know you know Opie. You know, Ron Ron Howard, you know, as our executive producer, it could be that simple, but who really knows? But the fact of the matter is, is that whatever the system is in place that's out there, it makes it very difficult for new entities entering into the market to compete with established entities, which to me is very, I mean, all these people like try to like, uh, you know, make arguments about you know, capitalism and you know, capitalism free market and all this other stuff. Well, where's the free market in that? Where's the free market in, uh, in, uh, in the fact that only so many different uh, media outlets have the ability to reach millions of people, you know, and, and where's the free market when net neutrality is uh, basically dictating who has the bandwidth to see what? I mean, people keep forgetting that net neutrality was shot down, that we're basically in a post-net neutrality universe, aren't we? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so that means that the spigot is open, you know, for some outlets and it's completely closed for others. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think that people tend to forget that when you start thinking about, you know, trying to get like alternative voices out there. It's like people needed to think about it back then when we were trying to fight for it. 
right? But isn't that always the case, mm-hmm. right? That we're that we that we always like lament the thing that we lost rather than fight for it while we still have it. And you know, and that's maybe that's just human nature, whatever the case might be. But that's kind of where we are. I mean, we know at this point that all we can do is continue to build our audience, and that's what we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is crazy. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot and, and any kind of conspiracy theories that get thrown out in this, uh, in this podcast are definitely my own, um, <laughs> so, my own thoughts and my own opinions when it comes to that. Uh, nothing from Cindy or, or Eric. Um, you know, I just, that's just how my mind works. And, you know, and I know that it, that some things are nefarious and some things are just, byproducts of uh, of a bad system with unintended consequences that end up happening and it it looks nefarious but you know when you really get into it, it, it you realize that uh, no, it's kind of not but well when we make when, in making the con what we discovered is that quite often it's a mixture of the two i mean right i mean you have like an inherently bad system you know, I mean, in, in the con, we're talking about the financial system, you know, by and large, you know, or the mortgage finance system, whatever kind of system or subsystem we want to talk about. And when you have a bad system, you have smart people that are out there that know how to take advantage of it. And so I think that it is actually a healthy mixture of just happenstance and opportunists who become being the merciless. And so I think that, that you know, it's it's a combination of both things. I mean, something's just sort of happened and there's, you know, whatever, like you said, product of a bad system. But if there's a bad system, there's people who know how to game it. Mm-hmm. They'll game it every single time. And they're the ones that they're not stopped, if they're not prosecuted, you know, if they're not, you know, thrown in jail, you know, that they're going to keep on doing it. And that's ultimately, I mean, ultimately that's exactly the story that we tell in the con. It's like our first episode, our very first episode, we show how in tiny Summit County, Ohio, there is a group of, uh, of cops who basically had no background in mortgage, no in mortgages, no background in finance, no background in any of these things, who were able to see that a crime was going on, right? So they investigated it. Then they prosecuted it. And then they got indictments. And then they got, um, you know, and then they then big will went to jail. Right. And yeah. that's the way it's supposed to happen. Right. Right. I mean, that's exactly what didn't happen on a national scale. And that's what basically the rest of the series talks about is that episode one says crimes were happening and these people found a way to prosecute. They did the right thing. And, and the bad guys went to jail. Episodes two through four show how that did not happen mm-hmm. at all on a national scale and to devastating consequences. But all we have to do is look back to Little Summit County, Ohio, and say, oh, it could be done. You don't have to be, you know, a financial whiz kid from Harvard in order to figure out that a scam's a scam. Just do the damn work. I mean, if there's a crime going on, investigate, for fuck's sake. I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what more could you say to that? Yeah, it was, that was great, man. I, 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 those, those guys, none of them were forensic, uh, 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 financial people and, and they were mm-hmm. able to piece it all together and, and figure it out. And like even guys that you would think that like if you were to look, oh yeah, they'd probably be, uh, you know, uh, 
prejudiced to a certain extent. I mean, they even said it. They were like, no, this was the, they went after the poorest and the brownest and the, and, and, and you know, the, the, the meek, the weak and the, uh, and the, uh, ignorant. ignorant. Well, you know, that's, that, that's such, I'm glad you brought that up, Sean, because that's exactly one of the, that, that's one of the biggest points that, that after this, after this year and everything that's happened since George Floyd, I mean, what the Summit County Task Force did in Akron, Ohio, is exactly what, what it looks like when Black Lives Matter to people, right? Yeah, yeah. They go and they see that crimes are happening in these neighborhoods. They prosecute those crimes, and the people who are taking advantage of a, a vulnerable population, they're thrown in jail, right? They're not allowed to continually victimize these, the, these neighborhoods and, you know, and, and poor elderly African-American women like Addy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what Black Lives Mattering looks like, right? Well before, you know, the, it gets to a point where there's a conflict on the street between two people. That conflict on the street never has to happen if the law is being equally applied across all neighborhoods, right? Yeah. You know, if, if you can, if, if, if you can't get away with something in one neighborhood, you shouldn't be able to get away with it in another. Yeah. And that's yet another one of the big lessons from the financial crisis, right? I mean, this was a crisis in poor black and brown neighborhoods in the nineties. So it was a crisis in the early two thousands, but it didn't become a crisis to this country until it hit until it hit suburban white neighborhoods. Then all of a sudden it became a crisis, but at that point it was too late. Yeah. And when that happened, then, then when, when you finally address something when it's too late, that's when you get a financial collapse. That was a great point that you just made about, about black lives. Really? I mean, that, that is the essence of what, what black lives really matters means, you know? Uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't want to get into what it is now, but I mean, it, it, you know, it's just crazy how things get hijacked for agendas. You know what I mean? It's, and, 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 and whole, whole, I don't know, cultures of people just are, are used as, as pawns and, and, uh, and just, I don't know. It's just uh, to think about it. Sometimes it, uh, it's so just disappointing. You know, it's really disappointing when you think that the world is, is one way and then you wake up and realize that it's something completely different that you have no idea. Like you didn't even know that, like, how am I even a part of this? Like how did this happen? You know? So anyways, we could talk about this forever in a day and, and, and keep going. Um, but so do you guys got any other, uh, uh, projects in the, in the pipeline? Um, as far as documentaries go or anything that you can talk about, it's okay if you can't. Well, um, we're, we're hoping right now, it's like, we, we have like a good 65, 70% of a season two for, uh, of the con, um, that is ready to go if we can, uh, if we can, uh, muster enough support for, uh, season one. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of the big thing that we have. And, and we have some real blockbuster stuff that can come out, you know, in that season two. I mean, season, season one, you know, it, it, it gets us to modern day in some respects. But season two would really connect everything from the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission and everything that didn't happen off the heels of that 
to right now in the post-COVID economy because a lot of people, a lot of people think that uh, the economy that we're in right now is because of COVID. The economy was failing months before COVID was even heard about, right? And and that's what people don't understand is that all COVID did was paper over the cracks that were already showing. And so it became like the easy thing where it's like people said, oh, it's all because of COVID. Well, COVID certainly had an effect on service economy and so many other things. But as far as like, you know, the pillars of the economy and how things were happening, you know, in, uh, in, in high finance and what have you, it was already falling apart. Yeah. And so season two will really discuss everything going right up to, I mean, right now. Yeah. And, and, and show exactly how everything that fed into the, fi- the great financial crisis in 2008, what it means to say that it was never addressed and also how so many decisions have made it far worse. And that, you know, and, and by the time we're done, I think, you know, if, if, uh, if you're a careful viewer of season two, if we're able to, if we're so lucky as to be able to get it out there, um, I think that there's a chance that you'll have a very clear understanding as to exactly why we're in the world that we're in right now. That's great. That's great. I can't wait. I hope it does. I, I you know, and I hope I can, uh, I can continue helping you, uh, try to push this, uh, this season one out and, you know, get some more traction on it. And like I said, we'll, we're going to talk in a minute when we get off of this. Um, how about you, uh, Cindy, anything that you're working on, any projects, uh, that you got coming out or. Yeah. Um, actually Eric and I work a lot together outside of the con we have a dark comedy about the worst christmas ever so it happens to be releasing in the worst year ever for a lot of people so it's a it's a funny little dark teen comedy body comedy that we um we worked on for the last couple years um and it's getting released november 3rd um on every major platform uh, vod and um, cable VOD DVD, and right now you can pre-order it on iTunes. It's called Worst Christmas Ever. Awesome, awesome. And the, yeah, um, yeah. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, and the movie theater around where I live, they're renting out theaters for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right, right now, I'm like, but nothing news come out. Like, so, I mean, are you, what are we going to watch? Are you going to watch something that's old, a rerun, or, or? But I mean, that's just how. The, where we're at with with movies right now and yeah the newer the newer the movie the more the that fee gets higher but if you look at if you want to do a 50 person viewing uh for an older movie it's like about 99 bucks but why would you want to get 50 people together in a room right now yeah, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great that's a good point <laughs> i mean you i mean you can but <laughs> Yeah, you'd be pushing your luck, though. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, everything that you uh, that you guys uh, just said, and and uh, any of your social media and stuff like that uh, that you want found, will be in the show notes. Um, I have your bios and everything else, so I think uh, I can probably piece everything else together, and I'll get this one out pretty quick. My uh, my queue right now is about fifty episodes, but when I have stuff that's uh, 
kind of more timely and, and kind of where we're at, uh, I bump it to the front and, you know, so yours will be probably coming out, uh, in the next, I want to try and get it out before the election, but, uh, but that's, cool. yeah, but that's, uh, that, that's, that's maybe pushing it because <laughs> that's right <laughs> around the corner. Um, so yeah, uh, I appreciate you guys stopping by and, and, and spending some time with me and, uh, you know, enlightening me on, on your projects and a little bit more about the con and, and our listeners and everything else in the audience. Uh, if there's anything else that you guys want to talk about or, or say before we, uh, close it out. Um, I would just say thank you for your support and all your listeners and viewers. Uh, just look out for our projects. Um, we're probably the minority voice in Hollywood, so we're not afraid to push the barriers. And um, and uh, so happy to found Eric in Ohio. We kind of moved here about the same time, so um, it was good to find each other. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, same same for me. Uh, I guess the only uh, note that I uh, probably want to add is that uh, is that uh. One thing I didn't mention um, was that one of the things that we tried really hard to do with the con was to illustrate the fact that there were literally thousands of people who were trying every way they could to stop this from happening, to stop the financial crisis from happening, and to make sure that the rule of law actually meant something um, with the in the financial sector, and uh, and that when politicians are helping and not hurting, you know, that, that there's actually an opportunity for, for government to help make, you know, systems work. You know, it's yeah. it, it, when politicians get in the way and it's always the political appointees that end up ruining, you know, everything, you know, or, or it's the lobbying groups who put in, you know, nonsensical, you know, regulation as opposed to really smart regulation, you know, that kind of thing, you know, but, the main thing is, is that, is that as dark as the con can be, if you look close enough, there's an awful lot to be optimistic about. The fact that there are so many people out there who are good people who are trying everything they can to protect us and to protect our economy from falling, you know, from collapsing and falling into the hands of the wrong people. Um, and they need our support. They need our support with who we vote for or how we vote, you know, and it's not just president, right? It's like, you know, I mean, it's like it might be a devil's choice for a lot of people right now, including myself, but it's the down ticket stuff, man. It's like, who are these judges, especially the judges, the judiciary? It's like, you know, who, who, who are the council members? Who are like all these people? You know, those, those are where things happen close to home and, and if we can help the people who are trying to do their level best to help, you know, make things work the way they're supposed to, they will. We just have to be smarter about who we support or make sure that we have that, that we get people out there that we can support who will actually do those things. And that's the difficult part. That takes work. But that's on us. We need to do that. Well, I mean, the, the women's suffrage movement, that lasted 70 years before they actually got their rights and everything else. The the women that actually started it didn't even get to see it to its fr to fruition, right? 
but that's right. that's why it, it it got to where it did is because you had people that were relentlessly fighting for the for the rights of of women and and what was right and they never gave up and we have to do the same thing but the game has changed a little bit you know we've got technology now that uh you know that can be weaponized against us but if it can be weaponized against us then we have to realize that we can weaponize it against them as well so it's just a matter of organizing and and trying to come together for a shared purpose i believe true true and like we say at the very end of the con this will end when we all collectively finally say enough yep that's a great point to end it on right there, Eric. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing and continue to do. Uh, I look forward to, to, to everything that you guys got coming out. You have a fan in me for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being out there all the time, you know, putting out, uh, putting out these, these podcasts are important. No, you're welcome, man. And, uh, hang out. I'll talk to you yeah. in just a second. Thanks, Sean. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot for merch patreon paypal and social media links go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up on instagram at nowhere to go but up now on twitter at but up now on the youtube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast see you next time